0: Hi everybody and welcome to another episode of the book goodies author interview series podcast. My name is Deborah Carney. I'm your host and this evening I'm joined by author Ryan Frawley. How are you Ryan?
1: I'm very well, Deborah. How are you?
0: Good Did I say your name right?
1: That's right yeah <laughs> all
0: right
1: yay um, a good. Start.
0: Why don't you um, introduce yourself to our listeners and um, tell them a little bit about yourself and how you decided to start writing.
1: Sure. Um, Yeah, I'm Ryan Perali. I'm a Canadian uh, novelist. I uh, grew up in England, as you may be able to tell from the accent, but I've been living in Canada for eight years. Uh, I'm the author of uh, a novel, Scar, uh, which was published in October of 2011. Um, I got started writing uh, a long time ago. <laughs> not that's not even fine. sure how, how it all started, but, uh, yeah, I've been, uh, I've been doing this since I was a little kid. It was always my favorite, favorite thing to do. So, uh, yeah, I just kept at it and there we are.
0: That's awesome. Um, one of the things that I like to do is encourage young people to write. Um, yeah, my absolutely. son started writing very young and, and that's one thing that he was very adamant about is, and as a matter of fact, um, at the beginning of the internet message boards and things when he was young um he wouldn't tell anybody how old he was he would let right. people he would let people read his stuff and then if they told him how much they liked it or whatever you know then he might tell them that he was you know like 14
1: or um, yeah exactly uh, that's a uh, that's a good idea because then you kind of you're competing with adults and you're not you know no one's going to kind of make allowances for you to be yeah no, yeah but... they don't
0: pigeonhole you and say oh
1: nobody... yeah exactly oh, nope, nobody can write a novel at 14 you want to be good for a, a writer of any age so yeah that's that's pretty cool
0: that was one of the things i hated uh when i was a teenager was <laughs> you have to you have to grow up and be more mature to write and i'm like what of course the story i was writing at the time was about martians so well,
1: you know. like anything. I always think it's in a lot of ways writing is a lot like doing a sport and, and now if you're gonna be good at a sport, like if you wanna be world class, people are starting at like three, four years of age. This is if you look true. At like Tiger Woods or the Williams sisters in tennis, right? You know, these were all doing it from the minute they could hold a racket or a club. So I think I think it was exactly the same thing. I think you get better the more you do it and you need to start young.
0: And were your parents supportive of you? Like, you know, did you go read stories to Mom and Dad or?
1: Yeah, yeah, my parents were super supportive. My dad, uh, my dad worked on construction sites, but he uh, he was always he had this novel, like a lot of people, he had this novel that he always wanted to write, and he kind of would work on it really sporadically. Every few months, he'd kind of dust it off and have another go at it. But I, I think to this day, it's still not finished.
0: Aww.
1: And then my mum was uh, um, is a, uh, a teacher with a major in English, so.
0: Oh, well, there you a, go. You had the perfect yeah. childhood
1: to grow up and be a writer. Exactly. It was a very, uh, you know, books were a big thing in our house. It was always, you know, why don't watch TV, read a book. It was very much that kind of household. So.
0: Awesome. So why don't you tell us about your novel, uh, Scar? How did that come about?
1: Right. So Scar came about, um, it's the story of a a, a guy with schizophrenia who, uh, he's, English, like me, but uh, with, of Irish descent, and uh, his father passes away, and he goes back to Ireland for the funeral, and um, while he's there, he kind of, he goes off his meds, and he starts undergoing basically a schizophrenic breakdown, but within that, he experiences things that are maybe, I don't know, it's hard to say these things about getting kind of mystical about it, but it's, he experiences things within that that he feels, at least, are there's a purpose to them. Okay. which is quite common among schizophrenics but uh, yeah it's kind of an exploration of, of schizophrenia but also family and and history and and there's a lot of mythological themes in there um yeah so it came about basically when i first moved to vancouver in canada it's uh, it's a nice city don't get me wrong but it has a serious mental health problem um <laughs>
0: We know people that live in Vancouver. We're going to tell
1: them that. Oh yeah, they they don't. Uh, yeah, the tourist board did not sponsor this book in any way. They're uh, they're not keen on it. But there's, there's just a certain area of the city. Yeah, every city has a bad area. But there's I've never seen anything like Vancouver. Just the level of mental illness that's just clearly on display. Like there's people on the street talking to themselves or shrieking. You know. So I moved down. I moved to Vancouver and I lived in that area for for a little while in all the little hotels there and. um it just it interested me. I mean, schizophrenia is an interesting disease.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I started looking into it at the time I was reading a lot on mythology too. I was reading a lot of um like Joseph Campbell, people like that, like experts on mythology. And I read this essay by Joseph Campbell that was called um well, it's called Schizophrenia in this. And his central argument was that schizophrenics when they undergo a the ago, this psychotic episode, they often find that um the, the images, like the demons that they see, the, the monsters or the gods or whatever that they see in their schizophrenic delusions often correspond very closely to what they call the mythic archetypes. That's like a, a Jungian expression, but the, there's the same kind of character throughout myths in history. There's always, you know, there's a, there's a virgin mother and a, a hero god and a god who dies and comes back to life. And these are what they call the mythic archetypes and see the exact same thing as in schizophrenia. And that just to me it all kind of came together there. I was like I gotta I gotta explore this because that's just fascinating to me. It's it's, it's as though there's these these stories that are in us just as humans, that they're just naturally there. It's all kind of the same story. And lots of people have said that. There's only about three different stories in the world. You know, they're all basically the same. You can compare different religions and different mythologies and you get down to finding they're all more or less the same story, and that fascinated me. I was like, i got to get to the bottom of what this what this story is and why it's so implanted in our DNA that we have to keep repeating the same story. That, that, Not sure that I ever did get to the bottom of that. But,
0: but at least <laughs> you explored the, that. That's very interesting. I never, um, I mean, I I actually worked in um, hospitals and worked with nurses and doctors that worked with um, Mental health patients and schizophrenia and I never heard about them the mythic archetypes so that's going to be something that um, I'm probably going to look into a little bit more too. I may be reading your book to find out
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I would say yeah, um, yeah look up the the Campbell essay uh, Schizophrenia myth and also I think dr. Julian Silverman Doctor out of California back in the 70s did a lot of work on the same subject it it is it's really uh, Really fascinating
0: I'm writing down Julian Silverman So there we go I'll have some research to do after the podcast
1: So that's all
0: <laughs> It must have taken you quite a while Between the research and the writing To get this accomplished um, what, how, long ago, you know, how long did it take you To, to put this together
1: Wow um, It took I usually say the writing of the book took six years mm-hmm. But that's, that's Going from the first Like when I first set pen to paper Right. I actually started writing it down. That took about six years. But before that, you've got a whole period of um, these ideas bouncing around in your head without having any kind of formation to them. I think I read a thing by um, Vladimir Nabokov one time and about when he has an idea for a new story. It's like you kind of, like a, when a bird makes a nest, he's just gathering twigs and little bits of fluff here and there that seem unconnected, but as they turn into. The story and there was a long period like that, the kind of gestation period it was at least another year, probably more like two. So pretty much from the moment I arrived in Vancouver Rose writing this and that's going back eight, been on for nine years now. So yeah, a long time. Long time.
0: Well, but that's really great because that's a great analogy. Um I've had other authors in our interview series talk about how they, you know, write down little notes um when they get an idea and how they recommend other writers do that. And that building a nest mentality, that, that analogy is like perfect.
1: Because yeah, it's a good one. When I read it, I was like, yeah, that's, that's exactly it. Because yeah, you almost, and there is that instinctive element to it too, the way that when a bird's building a nest, I mean, do they really know what they're doing? I'm not sure that they do, but it's the same with the writer. You you pick these little facts and, as i say, at the time you seem unconnected and you don't really know why these things stick in your mind, but then they turn into this, the whole creation mm-hmm. that's one of the best things to me about writing that's one of the reasons I keep doing it
0: and pick up pieces of fluff that don't seem interconnected and all of a sudden they fit
1: someplace all of a sudden they fit somewhere exactly and you never know what it's going to be that's the that's the joy of it you never know what's going to kind of inspire you 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 learn some random fact about you know Himalayan mountain goats and uh Eight years later, it comes It comes out in amazing. the corner.
0: It comes out in the story.
1: Yeah, exactly. And it's like it, it almost feels like it was meant to happen. It almost feels like you were meant to learn that thing at that time. Otherwise, things would not have gone together the way that they do. It's uh, yes, yeah, it's, it's it's amazing to me.
0: That's that's really fascinating. I love that. And who did you say had that analogy? Where did
1: you read that? Uh, that was that was Nabokov, I think, Vladimir Nabokov, uh, the author of Lolita.
0: Okay i can write down lolita and then find that because
1: <laughs> i can't spell that
0: yes i am and the rest of the you you should be amazed because in the rest of the interviews i've taken at the most like one or two quick little notes so you're giving me some really fascinating uh, well
1: now, now it's a challenge to see how much i can make sure i <laughs>
0: <laughs> and to make our listeners write down because they'll yeah, be like exactly, wait yeah, that sounds exactly. good um Alright, so, and when you started the novel, did you have, like, uh, did you work from an outline, or did you just let it flow?
1: Um, a little bit of both. I, I never know what's going to happen in the end. When I write, I, I don't know what's going to okay. happen in I think to sustain a novel, for me at least, you've got to have, like, a skeleton to it. Because if you just start writing, like, if you start at page one and just go from there... I've, I've never been able to, to bring a novel to term that way. Mm-hmm. I always have to know at least at least the basic props of what I'm trying to say with it. And okay. um, some indication of, of where I'm going. But as I say, I, I really don't know exactly the end until I get there. I, I find that this is a very kind of, this is sort of a pompous, rightly thing to say, but it is true. If, you, if you're doing a novel, I mean, it, as I say, it took me six, seven years to write this thing six or seven years down the line, you're, you're a different person than you are when you started writing it. Totally. Writing the novel changes you, and just your your outside life changes you too. A lot can happen to a person in, you know, almost a decade, but you, you get the the feeling sometimes, I feel anyway, that sometimes it seems the novel's writing you as much as you're writing it because it changes you. I wouldn't be the person I am today if I hadn't written that book. That's That's just a fact you see things differently, you learn different things, you experience different things, and so by the time you reach the end, what you may have thought was the end before, it's, it's suddenly not what you want to say. And if you're doing it right, if you're writing a good novel it's going to have some life and some legs and, you know, some, some kind of blood of its own, then it should change you. And if it doesn't, it may not have that enough life in itself to interest the reader. So... Yeah, by the time you get to the end, you may find that what you were, thought you were trying to say is totally different to what you actually were trying to say.
0: I like that. Um, I like that a lot. I know um, one or two authors said that they worked from outlines. Someone else said they worked from a storyboard. And I kind of like the storyboard idea because it's, it's going to give you flexibility to change along with the story. And, exactly. Um, what one What one author told me is that she has um, different color sticky notes for each of her characters, and mm-hmm. as she's writing a book, if one character seems to be taking over too much, <laughs> she knows she needs <laughs> to balance it with something else, and she that gives her a visual, you know, outline. It, it's It's good and bad that we have word processing because you know you can sit down <laughs> and just start typing but then it isn't as easy to flip back you know
1: well that's yeah that's exactly it and it, it's something i think about from time to time because a lot of my favorite writers i mean i get really kind of fanboyish about it and i will go and i will look at um like rough drafts and stuff like that so i did it with um Tolkien was it was a great example because they, they released 10 books of different endings different characters the way he would have done things differently and i'm that's not really going to happen anymore because everybody deletes everything. <laughs> All yeah. you're left with is the finished product. You don't see the, the scaffolding. They, they, they pull that away. So, I, you know, it's, it's bad for, as I say, kind of bot geeks like me with it that actually care about these things. Most people, I guess, it's not going to matter. But for those of us who, who like to follow, you know, the different paths the story could going to take in, there'll, there'll be a lot less of that now.
0: Yeah, that is that is kind of true. I know that um, I will still, when I get so far into a book, I will print it out and I will reread it and edit it. And but I have a feeling that as the younger people that are just used to doing it everything on the computer and don't print anything out, you know, like you mm-hmm. said, they're just going to modify and there'll be no first draft anymore. You know, no,
1: that's right. All because get the finished product. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, Years ago, I used to handwrite a first draft, and then I would type it up. And you know, you you self-edit as your as you're typing. Yeah. You know, you find yeah. the things yeah. that you didn't want, and then it became something different. But I still had that first draft, and yeah. it's 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 kind of neat to be able to look back on that. I hope the next generations don't lose that. And um, but on the other hand, I can't stand. Uh, like a Word doc that has a bunch of corrections in
1: it and trying
0: to right. figure
1: out what the corrections are. I, I, oh, yeah, it's, it's a nice... I can't even imagine handwriting a novel. I always think that if I'm reading, like, Tolstoy or someone like that, giant books, you know, Warren Peace's giant slab of paper, yeah, and hand-wrote the whole thing, I can't even imagine that now. I can barely fill out a form these days because <laughs> my handwriting is so horrible, I can't even imagine actually writing... Even a normal sized novel, let alone, you know, some giant thousand page, you know, tombstone, the kind of thing he wrote, it's just yeah, it's crazy.
0: You know, I never actually thought about that before. <laughs>
1: because if it ended up being well, next time you read a classic novel, just think, yeah, some guy wrote that probably by candlelight. Yeah. <laughs> oh or a lantern or whatever, just yeah, sat there with pen. a pen and wrote it out. With
0: with a with a quill pen that he had to keep dipping Ooh. in an ink jar.
1: Oh god! Yeah,
0: exactly. And it ended up—if it ended up being a thousand pages, it was probably three thousand pages in the making.
1: Well, that's the thing. Yeah, how much did he cut out of that to get it down to that lean, tight thousand pages? (laughs) The lean
0: thousand pages. Yeah, that's really nice. All right. Now, when you got to, um, or throughout your writing process, did you use an editor at any point? Did you do you bring an editor in on your work?
1: I did. Yeah. And um, I would definitely say that to anybody who's going to, especially if you're going to self-publish, because if you're going to go through a publishing house, they're going to do that anyway. They're, they're going mm-hmm. to force you to edit, but um, I would advise anyone who's going to self-publish, definitely get an editor and not somebody who has an interest in your feelings, like not like a <laughs> family member. Don't get me wrong, it's great to get their opinion. That's that's fine in the early stages, but when you're gonna take it to the public, these are people who don't know you, really don't care how you feel, and are gonna judge the book solely by the book itself, not whether they know you and whether they think you worked really hard on it. So, you know, I showed it to friends and family and they you were know, supportive and, okay, it's great, but of course, what do you say? I mean, someone comes in and says, I've been working on this for six years and it's your cousin, you're gonna say, okay, that's great. So yeah, I did actually hire professional editor to go over and it was it wasn't cheap but it was worth every penny it really was scar is a much better book because of the suggestions he made
0: well and when you have friends and family you brought up a good point they not only know the blood sweat and tears that you put into it but they know your voice so they know um if you said something and it was sarcastic in the book they could pick that up because they know you, where a reader who doesn't know you might miss that. So that's where your editor or someone, you know, that doesn't know you very well can come in and and edit and say, this didn't work as a joke, or, Mm -hmm. you know, this scene doesn't make sense, and, you know, they can help you craft it and turn it into something
1: better. Yeah, that's a a very good point, too. My family scale was very much a lot of the family dynamics in the Scarrow are based on the dynamics of my own family, which is, you know, pretty much unavoidable. That's really all you have to go on. Mm -hmm. But yeah, you go to your family and like, Oh yeah, of course, that makes sense because that's the way that we operate as a family, but then you go to somebody else who probably doesn't necessarily operate that way. It's like, Yeah, this is like what is going on here, I don't really understand. So yeah, that's a very good point. That's uh that's definitely a, a good thing to think about.
0: And that's a recurring trend through the um, authors that I've been talking to that are published, whether you're self-published or not, is that you really need an outside editor. And Mm -hmm. I know that um, with the novel that I published, I had a few people look at it, but I didn't really have a professional editor look at it. So Mm -hmm. it's probably going to be my next step.
1: Yeah, I I would say it's it's a good idea. I mean, as I say, it's not cheap and writers aren't known for having a lot of money, but... um, I'm, I'm glad that I did, for sure. hmm
0: Yeah. Um, and being self-published, it doesn't mean you have to come up with the money right now. You can wait six oh, months, right. you know, until you yeah. can, can that's come that's up right. with it or try to work out something and trade with someone. And then the other thing would have been your book cover. Who did your book
1: cover? Uh, the book cover was... Um, I hired an artist to do that, too. Um, the design was, was basically mine, um, mm-hmm. but the actual... Drawing of it, I, I can't draw for, to save my life. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I'm horrible. Like, even trying to draw, like, a diagram, they'll just tell what I'm doing, or... Yeah, I'm, I'm useless at that. So, like, okay, i am got to hire someone for that. But um, luckily for, for us, and, and not so luckily for them, there's, you know, there's as many people trying to be artists as there are trying to be writers. So you can find really talented people out there who will do it for next to nothing. I mean, I hired this guy... Um, from Seattle, Michael Yakutis. I actually found out i putting out on Craigslist. I basically said, "Okay, I'm a I'm the author. I want to cover my book, and I want to and I put out on Craigslist, and I was just inundated with wow. responses. Yeah, just flooded with responses, and I was offering like no money. I think in the end it cost me two hundred dollars, something like that.
0: Wow, that's perfect. Yeah, that's. Yeah. Um, I have some friends that that also do book covers, and that's about what they charge. But that's also. Yeah you know, with a lot of input from, they have templates to work from and stuff, so.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um. It, and it, it's a good idea. I mean, I was very, you know, I, I'm one of those people who tends to think I'm, I can do anything on earth, and uh-huh. even if I've never done it before, <laughs> so I'm like, okay, yeah, that's fine, I could be a race car driver, that's fine, oh, yeah, I can design a book cover, that's fine, but um, you do have to put some groundwork into it, like, it, just in terms of design, what I always recommend for people is um, go to a bookstore and you can find one now because they're kind of on the way out, but mm-hmm. go to a bookstore and look at the kind of books in, in whatever genre it is that you write, whether it's romance or sci-fi or self-help or, And you'll quickly see, if you look through a few book covers, you'll quickly see that there's a, there's a very definite, uh, there's a look. Mm-hmm. There's always a look to the, to the certain type of book. Once you learn that look, you can replicate it. I find fairly easily by yourself, but, uh, yeah, it's it's about learning that language. There's a certain language to book covers. You can say a lot. To, you know, people say don't judge a book by its cover, but I mean that's nonsense. There's a whole industry yeah, around exactly. book covers. The whole point is so that people can know exactly when they look at the a book. I'm looking at my bookshelves right now, and you can you can totally see the covers all have a similar look about them because they're a certain type of book, and they're trying to advertise that fact.
0: Yep, I was just gonna say that's your that's your first piece of marketing material is the cover of your book that's the first thing people see and it's your calling card
1: yeah that's exactly it and uh, that's what decides whether people will pick it up or not I mean if they don't pick it up it doesn't matter how good the book is nobody's going to read it because they're not they're just going to look at it and go no thank you that's not for me walk away
0: and again as an indie you got to design the cover you the way you wanted to rather than uh the way someone
1: thought they wanted to have it done That's exactly right, yeah, that's, that's exactly right, and that's one of the reasons I went down the self-publishing road, because, as I say, I'm a, you know, I guess fairly arrogant person. I, I tend to think that I know best, and I don't <laughs> like to, you know. Okay, like here's a of, secret, here's a secret. Yeah.
0: Every exactly, writer yeah. is so an like, arrogant you know what? I know what person.
1: Sense this. I know the cover that I want, and that was the fantastic thing, is I, I was able to do exactly what I wanted, and and Michael, the artist, did a great job, he did exactly what I wanted, and yeah there was no I didn't have some committee of people. In, I didn't have to write to a focus group or design to a focus group. It's just what I thought looked good and there we go. so that's uh, yeah, self so publishing is great for a megalomaniac. I'll definitely say that.
0: <laughs> I like that. All right, so <laughs> what would what advice would you give to a beginning writer who is just starting their journey toward uh, maybe they have a book that's half finished what you know just what advice would you give them?
1: I would say first and foremost is keep going no matter what, because it is the hardest thing. It's, you know, it's like running a marathon. It's just so many times through writing Scar and and other things I've written, I've written a lot of short stories and whatever, but novels are, are a different beast entirely. Just keep going because you hit that point. I always do. Certainly at the midpoint, you're just like, oh, you know what? This is garbage. Like, let's just not bother. And, It would be so much easier to go home and, you know, watch storage Wars or whatever, go on the internet and find out what Kim Kardashian's up to. But there's no reward to that. It's like anything in life. If if you want a big reward from something, then it requires a big sacrifice. And writing a novel is certainly one of those things. It's the most rewarding thing you can do, I think. But it's one of the most challenging things you can do, too. So you have to keep going. Now, what
0: is your workflow? It sounds like, are you a full-time writer now, or are you, you
1: working on another Unfortunately job? Unfortunately not, writing? no. That's, that's the next goal, is to have the writing support me. But no, I'm not. And that's, that's one thing that... Um, I'm not in it for the money, but I would love to be able to spend my day doing that. Because again, like sports, you don't get really good at something unless that's what you do all mm-hmm. the time. I don't know if you've heard that theory. I forget who wrote the book on this, but the the 10,000 hours if you want to be really, you want to really excel in any field, doesn't matter what, um, you need to put at least 10,000 hours of work into it. Wow. And uh, yeah, that's a lot. That's (laughs) a lot. When you break it down, that's a lot. Even if you work in eight hours a day every day, that's still years and years of your life and most of us don't get to do that. So I feel like I'll never quite get to the level I want to be at until that's what I do all day long. And unfortunately, I'm not there yet, but that's what I'm working towards.
0: All right. So, what would your would the flow of your day be? Now, you you have another job, and then do you write before you go to work? Do you write when you get home?
1: Yeah, I, I write at night for sure. Um, I actually, to the extent that I've, I've been doing it so long that I actually find it hard to write in daylight now. Oh. It's, it's kind of a challenge. Where I find it much easier when it's dark. So yeah, I go to my day job, and I you know I'm home five, six o'clock, whatever. Have some dinner, and then. Yeah, start writing. So yeah, it's uh, I'm definitely a a night writer.
0: Okay, and again, that's something that you would tell a new writer is to not just give up, but to make sure that you do some writing every day.
1: As often as you can. I mean, every day life gets in the way. Mm -hmm. Every day, I would say, is hard, but certainly as often as you can. Like I say, I make the sport analogy a lot, but I think it's very apt. Practice is what makes you good at anything. Writing is no different to anything else. It's uh, it, it's an art and a craft, and that's the craft art of it. Writing every day, and that's fine if it's garbage, but wrinkle it up, throw it in the garbage can, and try again the next day.
0: Yeah, I took a writing course once, and I was very disappointed when I wrote this whole elaborate story, and like the last paragraph, the teacher circled something and said, this is what the story needs to be about. Start here. And like,
1: that was the end. <laughs> but that's, that's exactly right. I mean, that's how it goes. Oftentimes, when I started, Sky it was a completely different book to what it is. So it, it was about different things. It, it had different characters. It, 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 uh, yeah, exactly that. The things that I thought least significant ended up being what the book was about. The things that I really wanted to do and thought would be great and, and I had the scenes all work in my head and this is going to be great, they end up just falling flat on the page. There's no life to them. Maybe mm-hmm. because I had them so well planned. And that's part of the reason I'll write to a to a guideline but I won't have everything planned out because there's no life in it. If you have everything just scripted in your mind and you know exactly how everyone's going to behave, then once you write it just seems kind of dead.
0: That's That's a really good point too. Um, you know, if your characters are going to be alive, they have to be able to tell you what they want to do and, and not have you say, Oh, they can go off the beaten path this far, but then they have to come back to what I want them. And then
1: everything. Then, then you screw, Exactly. It's like, you, you know, you've made a good character when you're writing, and you said, okay, I'm going to put them in this situation. And they just kind of look at you and go, no, I'm, I'm not doing that. <laughs> that's, that's, that's when, you know, you have a real character rather than just, a you know, a. a roughly drawn person hang plot points off of, now you have an actual autonomous character who's going to behave the way that they're going to behave and not the way that you tell them to. It's kind of like, it's like with kids. You know, you've done a good job raising your kids the day that they turn around and, and live their own lives and tell you where to put out. I mean, that's the, that's what it's all about. It's kind of the same thing as that. That's,
0: that's really funny because there was a woman who um, I interviewed... Um, a few episodes ago and she, I asked her, you know, how did the idea for your novel come about? And she said, my character, I had been thinking about a novel for a few years and one night at three o'clock in the morning, the main character woke me up and said, go start writing. You've hidden me long enough. (laughs) And she said she literally, and at the time she was able to just stay home and write and she said she literally had to write 10 hours a day because the character kept, like, punching her, saying, You can't quit. <laughs> You've kept me silent for all these years. You have to let me out and tell my story. So
1: <laughs> that's, that's fantastic. Yeah, that's, that's exactly it. I mean, that's, it's the hardest thing to do, but once it's done, then it becomes easy because all of a sudden you know what this character going to do. You're writing about someone who, in some way, exists. You're not making them do anything; right. they're doing things because that's what they would do.
0: Now, this is this is coming to an interesting point because you studied schizophrenia, and like the the line between being a great writer and being totally insane is, is kind of <laughs> a fine line. You know, if we if we walk around telling people that there's a character in our head. That's telling us we have to do something. They'll be calling the guys in the white jackets to.
1: Uh, <laughs> she's
0: hearing voices in her head again. Let's
1: yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, that's exactly. Yeah. And that's one of the things that interested me about it too, because I was like, I, you know what, I can, I, I'm not schizophrenic, never have been. Thank God, but in, in some ways, I, I relate to these people. I relate to the kind of these delusions, and these these visions of grandeur that that uh, people with schizophrenia have. And I think most writers do, because I think it's a similar thing. I think it's kind of along the same path.
0: Only as writers, we create our own world on paper, instead of telling the rest of the world that this is what we think the world we're living in.
1: Exactly. And in a way, by doing that, you externalize it. That's another thing I love about writing. You kind of get to, you take these, these issues in your mind and these things that are kind of weighing you down, and by just the act of putting them on paper, by making them happen to this fictional character, or making them go through them, you find resolutions that you just wouldn't any other way. You, in, in your normal life, you don't get to live out these kind of things, but through writing, you get to live it out vicariously, and it kind of exercises the demon in a lot of ways. I find I that's that's I guess what I mean when I say you know the the novel writes you while you're writing it because you get these parts of yourself out, and you kind of. Yeah,
0: expelling it the well. I that's great. Um, all right, so let's switch gears a little bit. And now we've got the novel created, and we're going to self-publish. Let's. Uh, we've kind of talked about the um, the reasons why you want to self-publish rather than traditionally publish. And uh, okay. if you want, why don't you uh, tell me a little bit about why you made the decision that you
1: did? All right. So I was kind of. I was going the traditional route, I was trying to find an agent, because that's what they say that you have to do these days if you want to get with a publisher. It's not that simple anymore, now you have to have an agent to approach the publisher, but now getting an agent is pretty much as hard as getting a publisher. So yeah, I was sending manuscripts off to agents, and I had a couple of responses here and there, most, most agents, especially the bigger ones, will, uh, will just completely ignore you. Um, some are more affected to new ideas, especially younger agents, newer agents who are trying to make name for themselves. So I had a few that were kind of interested but what put me off was just I as I say, I have that megalomania in me that I just don't I, I knew what I wanted this book to be and I didn't want somebody to say, Oh, okay, that that's kinda of cool but you know, it would be better if the main character was a talking horse or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just couldn't deal with that. And I've, I've heard a lot of publisher writers have, have that exactly, That it took them a long time to find the right publisher and let them tell it the way they want to tell it and not be like, oh, okay, well, you know what? Vampires are big now, so can the main character be a vampire? Yeah. No, absolutely not. <laughs> That's, that was kind of my, my route to was, again, my own megalomy and arrogance kind of kicking in and being like, you know what? I know how to write this story the best way and I don't want to hear from anybody else. But uh, there's more to it than that, too. I think the world we live in is, is very different. If it were 20 years ago, um, this wouldn't really be, it wouldn't really be an option, self-published, mm-hmm. but I, I, the world's changing, and a lot of people that I, a lot of artists I really admire are going down that route. You um, take the band Radiohead, who back in, I not know, 2009 or something like that, but they released an album completely no record label, nothing, and they just put it on the website and like here you go. Pay what you want and uh I mean they were able to do it they were already millionaires. <laughs> right, right, there. right. I remember
0: a lot that of people now. Doing,
1: yeah, a lot of people do that. Louis C. K. the comedian recently did a, a live at the Beacon comedy special which yeah, he released online. He said, Hey, pay me five bucks through my website, and there you go. There's not going to be a middleman, there's not going to be any agents, any publishers, anything like that. You pay me five bucks, I give you a download of it. So the technology is there. The technology is at the point where someone like me, sitting in a room with a laptop, can publish something, and people can just pay for it directly. So we don't need to pay publishers anymore. And I, I Honestly, I think it's fantastic. There are downsides to it, don't get me wrong. But um, I think a lot of... A lot of publishing, and not just publishing, but any kind of media, any kind of entertainment industry, once it becomes an industry, the same with the music industry, same with film, they keep churning out the same stuff, because mm-hmm. people are in it for the money, and it's just they want to back a short thing. We've got another Spider-Man film out now. I mean, really, we need another Spider-Man film. <laughs> I feel like everything you could do with Spider-Man was done in the last 10 years, and um, really, I don't know that we need another one, but it was a proven moneymaker, so they're going to do that. Yeah, they're going to do it's the
0: it until people well. stop.
1: Exactly. It sells. It's the same with books. It's, you know, Twilight came out and, you know, kind of came from nowhere and blew all these sales records. And then suddenly everything vampires. Yep. They'll just, any story, they'll just throw vampires into it because apparently that's what people like. But it's a patronizing way to look at people. Mm-hmm. It really is. I, I, I don't like it. I don't like the idea of demographics. I don't know what demographic I fit into. And I think most people would say the same. People aren't demographics. People are people. Yep. So that, that was kind of it for me. I was like, you know, I don't really want to be part of this industry that kind of says, oh, okay, we're going to target, you know, Midwestern housewives, 30 to 45. I'm like, these, these, these <laughs> are people. Are not a, they're not a group that behave like a herd and just en masse do what you tell them. So
0: I was going to uh, say, I can tell you a lot of women in that age group that do not think alike at all.
1: <laughs> exactly, exactly. And you go anywhere and you find the most alike bunch of people you want to find. You go to like a... I know Harley Davidson Enthusiast Club and everyone there is, you know, 300 pounds and shaved head and a goatee and think, oh, these guys are all the same, but you start talking to them, they're not at all.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and some but of I them that I... you think are rough and tumble are actually very sweet and, and, you know, cuddly kinds of teddy exactly. bear
1: people. And exactly. And some of know... them are bad, genuine, genuine dirtbags, but you don't know just by looking. So I don't, I don't like that way of... of Advertising and, and that marketing—it's just it creeps me out, quite frankly. Because I know how I look. In fact, you can go online. You can go to uh, Google, uh, Google a Google word because they keep a they they'll keep a file on you, and you can access this file. Um, you can go like based on your Google search history and your YouTube history. Mm-hmm. They will know what they think you are. Right. It's fascinating because when I I get the other day, they had they had me as male. They had that right. They thought I was about eighteen. And I was like, it says something about my uh, mental development that's kind of worrying. Yeah, they thought was an 18-year-old male who loves sports, which I, I really don't. I have a passing interest, but not. Uh, I'm not a fanatic. And uh, yeah, they were just wildly, wildly wrong. So it just you know, things like that just make you think. Well, and that's Google. That's a fairly sophisticated uh, way of, of modelling people compared to some of the old older ways. But uh, I don't like that.
0: Yeah, you know, that, I don't like any I that. It
1: kind either. of idea, that demographic yeah, idea that, okay, oh, you like, you know, Tolstoy, therefore you must like, uh, you know, you must be some kind of university professor and you couldn't possibly like, you know, Godzilla movies. But I haven't <laughs> liked both those things. So why, <laughs> and I don't like someone telling me I can't like both those things. Yep.
0: And now, how did you actually start marketing your book? Because, you know, now your book is finished, and mm-hmm. now you've put it on, you know, you self published it, and, you know, it's out there. But since you don't have a big publishing house behind you, how did you get the word out?
1: Well, that that honestly is the hardest thing. And mm-hmm. that's even harder than writing the novel in a way, because the writing, I've been doing it a long time, I know what I'm doing, whereas the, the marketing, I had no idea. And it's very, very very difficult, um, I would definitely say that to anyone who's considering it, it's it 's certainly not impossible, but it 's extremely hard and it's it's just going to take a lot of a lot of persistence, like as much as writing a novel takes persistence, this author takes persistence, so in a way, writing a novel is great preparation for mm-hmm. marketing because that teaches you how to persevere even when it seems hopeless that 's kind of what I found with marketing too I started um, actually I hired a publicist, which was
0: Oh, you cheat.
1: I did cheat. I did cheat a little bit, but I, I, I learned a lot from it because um, I was I, like, I have literally no connections anywhere. Mm-hmm. Most of my friends don't even read. I mean, they, you know, I have I had no kind of in with anyone. So I'm like, okay, so how do you do this? And what I found mm-hmm. was getting reviews is a huge part of it, for sure. Okay. And um, that can be very hard too. I mean, as a self-published writer, you are not going to get reviewed in, like, the New York Times review box. books. You won't get reviewed in any kind of major national newspapers, but that's just really not an option. Right. But luckily, in a way for us, we live in that 24-hour news cycle where there's so many people out there that are just hungry for content. They need something to write about, something to report on. So you can find a lot of people. You can find especially bloggers. Bloggers are great for a self-published writer because... They have to blog about something. Some people blog every day. Some people blog twice a day. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's thousands of of book review bloggers out there that you can send your books to, and they will actually consider you. So that's that's a great thing to do. Um, Another thing I found really, really helpful was writing articles. Um, I wrote a couple of articles for a website called Thought Catalog, and uh, they publish. You know, they'll publish anyone. You don't have to have publishing pedigree, you just have to write a good article. Now, if you're a writer, then you go. You should be able to write a good article. Don't get me wrong. it's a very different skill to writing a novel, but at the same time there's a lot of transferable skills there. So yeah, you can write like a, a non-fiction article. I mean, I wrote about writing because that's what I know. And um, yeah, I published these articles on Thought Catalog, and the, one of them in particular was, was insanely popular, and it had 500 shares on Facebook in the first 24 hours that it was up. So that's That was a pretty great, good. great way to get my name out
0: there. And they gave you a backlink to your website. Do you have a website for the book?
1: Yep. Yes, I do, yeah. And so, yeah, they gave me a backlink to that. And, uh, yeah, that was one of the biggest things I did, honestly. That was uh, really helpful. Because then you're attracting people who already like your writing, too. I mean, there's no point trying to sell to people who just aren't going to get into it. I'm not going to go and try and sell my book to... You know, people who like business books or you know right. people who read romance novels—it's not—it's not that kind of thing. So there's no point selling to that market. They're just not going to accept it. Whereas, if it's a market that already likes the way that you write, then you're halfway there.
0: Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Um, all right. So now, social media. Did you have you done anything with social media, like Twitter and your own Facebook account, um, Goodreads or Shelfari? Any of those?
1: I, I've tried a few. You know what? I I shouldn't say this, but I just I don't like Twitter. I just I can't get into Twitter at all. I I'm on it. I have an account, and I I you know periodically I'll tweet something, but I just I, I don't know what it is. Like I like Facebook, and I just I don't like Twitter. I don't know why. It's just something about it. Just kind of it, maybe it's the, the brevity of it—the hundred and forty characters. I can't say anything. I'm <laughs> old. At this point, I can't say anything in 140 characters. I can barely say my name in 140 characters, so uh, that's always been a problem for me. But I've done that. I did Facebook. I created a Facebook page for Scar, which was nice. The problem with Facebook, I found, is that you're really selling it to people you already know.
0: For
1: mm-hmm. me, anyway, all my Facebook friends people that I actually know. So it was great. I sold, you know, a lot of copies on there, but just because these people, my friends and my family, and they they felt obliged. So. It was good for that, and it's a nice place to kind of announce, oh, I'm doing this interview tomorrow, or I have this review published. It's nice to do that, but um, I find it pretty limited just in that you're selling to people that you already have. Okay. Now, Goodreads, I found pretty good. Actually, Goodreads is really helpful, and it was not something I'd even heard of before I published the novel. Once I came across it, Goodreads is, it can be a a fantastic resource. I mean, Fifty Shades of Grey was... uh, that's how that got started. And that's really? Right. Yeah, that's right. It was, um, yeah, it was on Goodreads, and uh, I think it was self-published. Actually, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was, and it was just an book, and it was on Goodreads, and then um, people liked it. A lot of people read it. It got really good reviews, and it got entered into like a Goodreads like new up-and-coming competition, which it won, and then it just blew up from there. Like once it got onto there. It just got national media attention, and now it occupies what no well, spots one, two, and three on the Amazon bestseller list. So that's what Goodreads can do.
0: Okay, uh, that's um, that's one of the questions that I'm starting to ask authors is how you use Goodreads because I haven't. Um, I have a page there. I have some of my books there. But I haven't really used it that much. I haven't started a blog
1: there or anything. So mm-hmm. um, I, I was the same way. I was very like I, I was like, okay, this is a kind of a cool concept, but I didn't really, didn't really embrace it. But mm-hmm. um, it, it's kind of cool. You can kind of link your blog in, so that your regular blog can just get fed onto Goodreads. And um, it's gotten me actually a lot of new readers. One thing that I did on Goodreads, which was really helpful, was I did a giveaway. Okay. Uh, you can sign up to give away copies of your book, and you just give away like two copies, please.
0: Oh, I think I lost you. Oh,
1: okay. uh, hello. Yep, you're back. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I, I you know, I, I gave away two or five or I forget how many copies of the I was giving away, but hundreds and hundreds of people entered this giveaway, and it's it's just a random draw. Goodreads really administer it all. You don't have to do anything. You you sign up to do it, and they they announce it and they hold the draw and then basically they send you an email of the winner's addresses and you just send the book to those people who win it Mm -hmm. and the idea being that those people will get this free book but then they will review it okay and some do and some don't i mean don't get me wrong um you know not everyone's going to do it but goodreads are pretty good at that pressuring them to because (laughs) if, if, if you sign up for because I've done it as well. I was like, "Oh, this is fantastic! Free right? This is great!" So I signed up, and I actually won this uh, this one from Penguin, brought out this new, new well, not it's not a new book, but it's a new translation of a of a very old book. And um, yeah, I won this. This is great. They sent me a free book in the post, and this is great. and I haven't got around to reading it yet, so I haven't reviewed it yet, and so I get nothing. Now, if I try and enter a competition, I, I know I'm not going to win because they give. They tend to award the books to people who review a lot. Like if you have a good history of reviewing books that you sent, then they'll send you more. Oh. So, yeah, exactly. It's a good system. You get good results from it. I got a few results of uh, a few reviews up there. You know, two or three. But even that, when you're a self-published author, is is great. I mean, that's that's really helpful.
0: Yeah. Any and it
1: review it costs you the postage of a book, which. If you publish the way I did, I published through uh, Amazon's Create Space, And so the postage on a book is, is, is hardly anything. If you drop ship it from Amazon, mm-hmm. it's like $4 or something like that. Send it anywhere in the U.S. So, yeah, it's pretty good.
0: Yeah, I've, I've um, tried a couple of giveaways, and then I'm, I'm trying to figure out what I should do with all those people that entered you know like you have all these people that entered and you feel like you know i wish there was a way i could mass e- email them a coupon because they didn't win the book but i would love to send them to create space to buy one you know but, even, yeah, at see, little, be, yeah. even at a little even at a little over yeah. just just even a little over cost just to give them an incentive to buy the book
1: <laughs> yeah exactly that would that would be a great idea honestly it and would take a, see, it would take you can click on it, and you can see who's marked it as to read, which I guess I'm not entirely sure, what because I, I personally I'm get to read. I've never marked a book as to read. I'm not quite sure what it means. Right. I'm pretty sure it means, you know, it's something that they're, okay, you know, they, they are interested in reading it. And I think to win the competition, you have to mark the book as to read. So even the people who didn't win the competition, if you, you can click on your book, and you can see who's marked it as to read, so you could easily send them all. It would be time-consuming. Yeah, but it wouldn't be one. as
0: time consuming as sending one to eight hundred people.
1: <laughs> if I could
0: target that's that's a great advice because then you can target yeah, the twenty people or the forty people that marked it as to read and now I'm gonna go back and see if the people who won had it marked to read or not.
1: Yeah, yeah, there you go. And yeah, you can you can see along with I have uh, forget how many people have marked Scar to read but a lot. I, you know what? I'm going to do that same thing. I'm going to write that down. So there you go. <laughs> We're both learning something today. I'm going to write that down because that's a good idea.
0: I have two pages that I've written down in my little notepad.
1: <laughs> I got some catching up to do then, I guess. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, um, this has all been very helpful. I'm. Uh, I really appreciate you taking time out of your evening to join us. Um, do you have any parting thoughts that you would like to leave uh, leave our listeners
1: with? Um just yeah I guess just to reiterate what I said if you're uh, whether you're starting just starting writing or whether you've finished your writing and you're trying to publish it now the exact same thing comes in place persistence it's all about persistence just keep your eye on that goal and just relentlessly move towards it uh,
0: that's, that's perfect alright well um, tell everybody your website so that they know how to find you if they're listening to this on iTunes and didn't happen to land on our show notes page. What is the uh, web address of your book?
1: Uh, the name of the book is Scar. Uh, my name is Ryan Frawley. That's F-R-A-W-L-E-Y. Uh, website is www.ryanfrawley.com.
0: Okay, great. And th- we won't ask for your Twitter because you don't use it.
1: But um, <laughs> I, I, I use it. I use it, but I just, you know, it's, it, it's at Biggie Frogs. If anybody out there wants it, hey, you know, come follow me and help me figure out how it works, because I'm still kind of a twit and novice.
0: Okay. And what was it again? Because you said it kind of quick.
1: It's at BiggieFroll. So it's Biggie and then F-R-A-W-L-Z.
0: Okay. Uh, you're going to send that to me in an email so that I can...
1: There you go. Yeah. <laughs> so that I have it. <laughs> That'll be the uh, easier way. Yeah.
0: Along with your uh, Facebook page. So... Uh, for all of you who have been listening patiently and learning a lot, I hope, um, come on over to bookgoodies.com so that you can uh, you know, listen to this uh, again if you want to and so that you can see our show notes and find out where you can go find Ryan on the web. And uh, you can also come over to bookgoodies.com, search on his name, and you'll be able to find the podcast and you can make comments, and we uh, would like to encourage you to listen to our other podcasts. We're going to have probably close to 70 or 100 um, author interviews soon, and they're covering all different genres, and they're all very interesting folks that you can um, go to iTunes and download onto your onto your iPod and listen while you're working out or if you need inspiration to start writing. Um, as always, we'd like to uh, thank geekcast.fm, who hosts all of our podcasts. And you can find good book goodies um, not only on our website, but at Twitter, twitter.com slash bookgoodies and facebook.com book bookgoodies. And you can find me personally at twitter.com loxley loxly, or at debracarni.com. I want to thank all of you for listening. I want to thank Ryan again for being an awesome guest. And uh, everybody, start writing or start publishing, and have a great night.